Welcome to the Above and Beyond Recovery Podcast, where we explore recovery and its relationship to faith, family, work, community, and health. All right, well, we are back for part two with Heather Powell. We're talking about marriage and recovery. We had way too much to talk about for just one episode, so we are back for part two. Welcome back. Codependency is a big word, and there are a lot of definitions, and I've had this word rattling around in my head now for, you know, 13 years, and I still don't know that I have, like, put a pin in codependency, but it is obvious that many spouses of people in recovery deal with codependency issues. Mm -hmm. What does codependency mean to you? Well, when I look back on our journey, especially when he was using, um, I would say I was highly codependent. And to me, that means that I was, I mean, I was isolated from other individuals. I was so focused on him that all of my well-being had to do with his well-being. I'm not okay if you're not okay. Right. And we were just so, I was so enmeshed with him that I didn't exist outside of what was happening with him. So because he was struggling so immensely, I was struggling as an individual. And I just wasn't able to take a step back and form any healthy, the key word is healthy, um, ideas or make any healthy decisions because I was so enmeshed with him when I wish I would have been able to take a step back and say, hey, we need some hard boundaries right now. Um, what What is happening is not okay. And I'm going to draw the line right here. And if you cross that, these are going to be the repercussions for myself, for my safety and well-being. So I did not do that. Um, and I, I really wish I was strong enough to have done that. I think um, one of the things that I've chewed on a lot is, you know, in marriage we talk about commitment. And when you make a commitment to be married to somebody and be with them in sickness and in health, well, is an addiction a sickness? And didn't I make the commitment to be with you through that? So what does it mean to still be with you and still be committed to you in this relationship and keep my word to that commitment and protect myself. And in the case where you have kids, protect your family because Mm -hmm. wives are often put in that position where they've got to be the protector now of, of their kids. So that's definitely a question that I still to this day wrestle with is, you know, how do you keep safe boundaries and also keep your commitment if that's what you feel led to do? Well, I think I had, told you about this before, but after, yeah, it must have been after one of his relapses when I thought he was sober, we actually saw a Christian counselor at one point. And I can remember that coming up, that in sickness and in health. And this counselor pointed something out to me and and it's always kind of stayed with me that you know, when you're, when you're usually talking about sickness, you're talking about physical illness, you know, and really what I was experiencing was more aligned with that of adultery, right? And it was the lying, it was the deception, it was the manipulation, the the secret keeping. Um, And I always found that very interesting because that's one of the the topics that the Bible does mention, you know, is one of those clear violations of a marriage. And 
that kind of empowered me during that time to say, and I can remember us having this conversation, you know, like, yeah, you, you were sick, you were ill, but, but also your behaviors were really in line with adultery. And, and if we're talking about our faith, that's not okay. These, these behaviors that I dealt with and the deception, this, this is a whole other, you know, beast compared to if, if you had, you know, stomach issues or even if you had something as horrible as cancer, this is completely different. Well, and also separating the person from the behavior. You know, we've had conversations like I love you and I accept you and mm -hmm. I want to be with you, but these behaviors do not belong right. in right. this relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, that can be definitely a challenging conversation. It sure can. So I know for me, the stress and anxiety, the fear comes up from time to time, even now. Um, how have you found ways to deal with that when, if and when it comes back? I'm pretty comfortable broaching those topics with my spouse. Um, you know, if we're going into certain situations, you know, checking in to make sure that he's comfortable, um, asking how he's doing, um, and, and kind of having guidelines in place that we're kind of on the same page so I don't have to worry about those things you know with time the trust grows and the the anxiety starts to fade which is great um, but yeah it does come up from time to time so my expectation is that you know I, I think a lot of men in general aren't comfortable talking about their feelings um, so we have talked about like if you are struggling if you are having triggers, you have to tell someone. It's not okay for you to keep that inside and then act on them. So my expectation is that if he is struggling, that he's letting somebody know that, whether that's me or a mentor in his life, um, but that he's being honest with someone about that. That's, that's really what my expectation is. Yeah, I think when you mentioned earlier anxiety and control, I think that's the biggest thing for me is when I start to notice that I'm being afraid or feeling that anxiety, just letting the control go. There's like a mantra that plays in my head sometimes. And it's just this voice that's like, honey, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And when I can tell myself like, this is not my fault. I can't control this. I can be supportive. But ultimately, whatever decisions he decides to make aren't aren't up to right. me. They're not my right. decisions. And there's nothing that I could do to change whatever's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and reminding myself of that brings that fear and anxiety down mm -hmm. uh, very quickly. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What are some, yeah, I, one of the things that um, has been so helpful for me is being connected to the recovery community just because of where we work, um, but also because of where we've been in life. I've learned so much about the tools that people in recovery use to stay sober that I can apply to my own life. So are there any of those that have been helpful for you? Obviously, I mean, all these these tools are amazing and they're very logical and they make sense. The, the best thing that I have learned, the, the greatest piece of information is really learning about the effects of addiction on the brain. That's not something I knew about. I didn't know about dopamine receptors. Um, I didn't know how these substances alter the chemicals in the brain. Um, 
So really learning about that, that has helped me so much because, you know, at the time you're asking this person to make logical decisions, right? And part of my healing, and there was a very large amount of time where I would ask like, how could you ever think it was okay for you to bring needles into my house? Like what was going through your mind that made you think that was acceptable? Because it's not, you know? And I could never understand why he he didn't get that. So learning about the, the effects that the addiction was having on his brain, on his dopamine receptors, that his brain was just literally functioning just for that next high has helped me to make, to, to be able to let go some of that, you know, to be able to say there are things that I'm never going to get logical answers for because his brain was not in a logical state, you know, um, so I can't expect that from him. So that in turn has helped me to be able to use a lot of the different recovery steps in my own life for healing after I kind of received that groundbreaking information. Um, So we talked about this a little bit before, but um, if you have a friend in your church and and her husband is struggling with addiction, what would you, what would be your best advice for how to support that person? My, the biggest piece of advice is to have strong boundaries. Um, I didn't know about enabling at that time. That's something I've learned since working here. Um, the fact that my lack of boundaries enabled Bill to continue to use, to continue to abuse me in that process, um, not physically, but the, the addiction, the effects of the addiction were, were abusive. And I think it's important to point out, too, that your enabling d- wasn't the cause of his addiction. Right. Your enabling opened a door for you to be hurt. Yes. And the boundary protects you. It doesn't change whether or not your husband's going to use. Now, people who have strong boundaries, usually their spouses will find recovery a lot quicker. But that's not the point. I think that was a a thing that I wrestled with for a while was, okay, well, if I have the boundary, then he'll stay sober. No, No. but you'll stay safe. Right. You'll protect yourself. And, and you're right, maybe he would have gotten help sooner and I would not have had this year from hell if I would have had the guts to say earlier, like you go to treatment where I am moving back in with my parents. It took so much for me to reach that point, you know? Like you think about raising a child there's, you know, you you tell them what the expectation is and there are repercussions. Well, what were the repercussions for my spouse for continuing to cross my boundaries? There was nothing, nothing. I did nothing. I cried, he would promise to get better again and then he would go out and do it again and I did nothing. So I just prolonged my own suffering and allowed my boundaries to continue to be violated over and over and over again. So I just, that's something I would tell someone is that, listen, this is not okay. You know, the way you're getting treated, what is happening to you is not okay. You have to be strong and I know it's so hard. It is so hard 
to make those boundaries because you think if I make these boundaries, what if he goes and uses and dies? Well, guess what? Whether you have the boundaries or not, he's going to keep using and he very possibly could die. So you either have the boundaries to protect yourself or you don't. That's the difference. So I would tell them if your spouse violates them, there have to be repercussions. And, you know, hopefully you have someone who can you can turn to, you know, a professional who can help you in terms of kind of drafting out what those repercussions are, but it's not okay for your spouse to keep violating them. And obviously the goal is to get that person to treatment, but sometimes they don't want to go. And so what are you going to do? You're going to keep allowing them to come back home and using in your house. You, You can't do that, you know? I think some of the worst advice I've heard has been directions to get my husband into treatment. Amber, if you do this and you do this, then he'll go. So you need to do this and do this so that he'll get better. And I think the best advice you can give is, here's how we can help take care of you and help you keep boundaries that'll keep you safe. And then, you know, I think, um, I, I certainly experienced this at Teen Challenge, but helping fill in the gaps for a spouse who's, loved one is going to treatment, you know, because if, if that's a husband who happens to be the primary breadwinner, she's going to need a job or going to need some kind of financial support. She might need a place to live. She might need childcare and being willing to come in and and help in those very physical and tangible ways. I'm so glad you said that because isn't that one of the basic biggest excuses they use as to why they can't go to treatment? I can't go to treatment. I have a job. We have rent. I have responsibilities I have to take care of. And as a spouse, you hear, you're right. Yep. You're, you're like, oh my gosh, right. we do. But you do? know what? Is that worth their life? No. You know, so I, I wish I could go back and be like, yeah, we do have rent. But guess what? You, you know, you have a family. You have to get better. We have to figure this out. And I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z if that's what it takes to mean that you can go to treatment. And how much easier would those conversations be if the wife could say, my friend at church already offered to watch our kids twice a week. So you go, I'm going to get this part-time job. You know, like having Mm -hmm. that in your toolbox to approach that conversation when you know you've got people behind you that aren't just going to, I'm here for you, but are going to say, I'm going to step up and help you with this through this period of time. Absolutely, yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about hope for families because I know in some of my darkest moments, I was like, this is just never going to get better. Or I was looking at some really dark scenarios. Um, what has life in recovery been like for your family? It, it hasn't been a cakewalk, you know, like you were saying, it's not like he went to treatment and we were reunited and they lived happily ever after. That's not how it works. Um, there are still a lot of things that you have to unpack and work through together. Um, there, there is a lot of hurt that has to be dealt with. There are probably other loved ones that those relationships have to be mended, you know, for us, because I raised my son on my own for a year when we got reunited, our son wanted nothing to do with him. Um, he was a mama's boy. He didn't really want him to hold him at all, which, you know, that was difficult to see, but 
I, I'm sure that was very difficult for him to, to realize that our son didn't have that relationship with him because of the decisions he made, you know? So we ha had to spend a lot of time to, for them to rebuild that relationship. You know, my son was, my gosh, was he like three, right? Three and a half. Um, when we got reunited, we were here. Remember when he used to call I me know. Burger? I know. He couldn't say Amber, so he would call her Burger. It was so it was cute. really cute. So cute. Yeah, I'm sure you remember. He was he was a mama's boy. He did not want to leave my side. It's uh, it's horrible that I'm laughing at it. But, um, yeah, but Bill was very patient and took the time to kind of rebuild that relationship with him. Um, I would say, again, things would have gone so much smoother if I would have addressed all of these issues, but I didn't realize that I needed to address them. Um, I thought, oh, it, it's done. Like, we took care of it. it. It's exactly like you were saying. Like, he got treatment, and, and now, you know, we just, we move forward, you know, onward. Um, but that's, there's just so much to work through that I really wish I, I would have gotten help even for us as a couple, when we got reunited, um, to work through those things, to work through what the relationship looked like, what our boundaries were, you know, what trust looked like. I can remember after we moved off campus here, we bought our first home. Um, I mean, it had been two years, and I still had trust issues. And I can remember my husband saying, like, when are you going to trust me? And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, there's no timeline that we can put on this um, in terms of when I'm going to, to feel that you're able to be trusted. So I wish I would have had a professional to work through that with. But, yeah, it's just been a lot of trying to rebuild that relationship and, and make a – better relationship. Um, we have another son now who is, he's now four. So, um, you know, lots of sports and, and my husband has come a very, very long way. Um, he coaches their football and baseball teams. And, you know, now him and our older son have this amazing bond that's really been uh, great to see um, because of the sports. I don't, do sports <laughs> at all. Um, but that's something that, that they share together that wouldn't have been possible if he wouldn't have gotten clean, you know? Yeah. I think bringing reality to it, you know, recovery can be amazing. And, and there are so many beautiful, redemptive parts of recovery. And it's also very difficult mm -hmm. and challenging. Um, but I think helping people see these stories, like you can go through very difficult times even the recovery, you know, the other side of it can be very difficult, yeah. but it's also very rewarding and it's, it's possible. I think that's the thing that's yes, most important. Yes, absolutely. It takes a lot of work, but the work is worth it for the end results. You know, your marriage can thrive. Um, your spouse, if you have children, your spouse can be the parent that, that they should have been before. You know, those relationships can be restored. It takes time and it takes effort on their part and on your part, right? Because you have to be open to forgiving. That's That's been huge. 
Yeah. We didn't even talk about no, that. We did That's not a talk whole about other that. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk about this. Well, before we close the show, we like to talk about the habits that we're making this week that are helping us find wholeness in our lives. So Heather, what is your wholeness habit of the week? Well, as you know, I've, I've been very into podcasts recently. So um, I've been listening to the School of Greatness, um, which is just really about learning how to be the best version of myself that I can be. So learning lots of interesting facts and trying to incorporate those into my life to become healthier and happier. You've told me about this show before. You've sent me a couple episodes and I, full disclosure, have not listened to them. But maybe I will now. Hopefully. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, my wholeness habit this week is uh, there's a book called Every Moment Holy. I forget who it's by, but I'll put it in the show notes. It's a collection of liturgies. So I didn't grow up in a faith tradition that uses liturgy in church, but um, the person who wrote it just has this beautiful poetic style and wrote liturgies for like the simplest things in life, like one for waking up, one for going to bed, one for drinking your morning coffee, one for, there's one for like sleeping under the stars, just like every little mm -hmm. thing. And I love it. It just brings that mindfulness to my day and helps me connect with the Lord. So that's my wholeness habit. That's it for this week. Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. And to those of you listening, don't forget to leave us a comment or email us with a question at abovebeyond at paatc.org. We're looking forward to hearing from you. So welcome back, Heather. Thanks. Do that again. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Why? That was good. No, no, it was good until you what really did. What do I say? I've said thanks oh, for having me. I've said thanks for having me 40 times. You don't even so have to else? say anything. You could just stare at me. <laughs> Salute me. All right. Thank you for joining us. The Above and Beyond Recovery Podcast is a production of Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge. If you or a loved one needs help with addiction, call us now at 844-888-8085 or find us online at paatc.org. That information is also in our show notes. Join us next time as we continue the conversation.